I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer, not a doubter. I'm a doer, not just a hearer. I'm humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I'm mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. John chapter 17, verse 4, you'll find these words. It says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, this is going to be our, our second sermon in a little short series. We'll finish it up on next week that we have entitled uh, Jesus Glorified God. And I said it's important for us to understand that everything that Jesus did uh, in his ministry, you know, from, from his birth to his suffering on the cross, was all done to bring glory to God. Now, my objective in this series is just to look at some of the miracles that he performed that glorified God and to briefly look at how he glorified God in his suffering and death. Now, when you study the Bible, you'll see that, man, Jesus performed over 40-some-odd miracles, you know, and, and I only picked the ones that kind of addressed the word glorified in the miracle somewhere where someone said they glorified him. But you have to believe that in all of them, Jesus was glorifying God because we said earlier that Jesus did all things to glorify God, Amen. Now, last week we saw Jesus healing a multitude of people and feeding over 4,000 people with a few fish and several loaves of bread. And that was glory. And he, in doing that, God was glorified. We also saw Jesus healing a woman with a spirit of infirmity who had been bound for over 18 years. Jesus liberated her and she glorified God. And we close with Jesus glorifying uh, God by cleansing 10 lepers. But out of the 10 that he cleansed, only one came back to say thank you and to glorify God. And as we, we said, you know, we ought to be that one. Amen? Now today we're going to go to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. Here we see Jesus returning to Capernaum, which is kind of like his home base. And, and the word of God and the word has spread quickly that Jesus was in town. And, and we find him preaching to a packed house. Somebody say a packed house. In other words, the crowd had heard about him coming. Everybody had heard of some of the miracles he had done. And so now the crowd was waiting on him. And he had this venue, and it was packed. And in that venue were some of the religious leaders who wanted to come. And, and they were trying to, you know, trying to trick Jesus up or see if he was going to violate some of the laws of Judaism. But in the midst of Jesus preaching the word, Jesus was stopped by the faith of some men who wanted to help their friend be healed. In other words, these men took a paralyzed man who, who had no means of getting to Jesus on his own, but because of their friendship, they brought him to Jesus. And they didn't allow the crowd to cause them to be deterred or, or to discourage them. But in spite of the crowd, they did what was necessary to allow their friend to have an opportunity to be healed by Jesus. And so once Jesus healed this man, the religious leaders accused him of blasphemy. But the people were amazed, and they glorified God. On one side, you got the religious folk 
who should have known who he was, accusing him of blasphemy. On the other side, you got ordinary people who hadn't been to rabbi school, understood that God was at work in that situation. And so what we got to see is that Jesus is still moving today, and he can still be stirred by our concerns, by our needs. And as we look at this, I want you to see a couple of things. The first thing when we start looking at this, I want you to see that persistent faith wins. In verse 3 through 5, I want you to see persistent faith wins. Now look at this. It says, they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was teaching. In other words, in that time, the roof was normally flat. And it was like, not like roofs that we have today. Normally it was made out of straw, or, uh, or branches, palm branches with some clay and, and stuff like that. So it wasn't hard to tear the roof off the house. It wouldn't be like coming in here. You know, I'm pretty sure if somebody wanted to, they can get a saw and come through the roof. But here, if these roofs was flat, and so they had access to normally side ladders or, or, or steps on the side of the house. So these men, knowing that, said even though the doorways are packed, even though we can't get to where he's at by walking right to him, we, we want to get our friend healed, so therefore we're going to do whatever is necessary. They uncovered the roof. So sometimes we've got to do what's necessary to help people get to the Lord. We've we got to stop looking for the easy way and the convenient way. Sometimes we're going to have to go through means that is not the ordinary way that you will witness to someone. Not the ordinary way that you would minister to someone when it comes to trying to get them to Jesus. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was laying. When Jesus saw their faith, somebody say saw their faith. See, when, when faith is put into action, it can be seen. In other words, if you got the faith to do what God called you to do and you put it into action, somebody's going to see you doing what the Lord told you to do. So therefore, faith without works is dead, but at the same time, faith is active. Like love, you got to put faith into practice. It's easy to say, I have faith in Jesus, but it's another thing to walk in faith and do the things that he tells you to do faithfully. Amen. And so therefore, Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic man, Sons, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, when Jesus said that, his divinity was challenged. See, because the religious leaders didn't have a problem with Jesus healing. They had seen him and heard about him healing before. But, but what they had a problem with is when he declared your sins or forgive them. Because in their mind, only God could forgive sin. But because of their lack of understanding and acceptance of the truth, they didn't realize that Jesus was God in the flesh. And so therefore, they wanted to come against him. So look at this. His divinity is challenged, verse 6 and 7. He said, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their heart. Somebody say in their heart. You know, I don't know your heart, but God does. See, you, you can deceive me with your actions and what's in your heart because I, I, I don't have the ability to look down deep in your heart. I have to wait to see what's manifested in your heart. Let it be manifested in your outward action, in your life. Then I can say, yeah, 
Now, sometimes I may be able to discern things by the way you do certain things, but when it comes to matters of your heart, it takes God to look deep down into your, to your heart. So Jesus said, they were reasoning in their heart, saying, why does this man blaspheme like this? Who can forgive sin but God alone? In other words, they didn't realize that divinity had put on humanity and came to earth in the form of a man, born of a woman. Amen. And so therefore, by that lack of understanding, they immediately came against him. But look what Jesus said. But immediately, when Jesus perceived, somebody say perceived. In other words, when he perceived a sense, he understood what was going on in their heart. He understands what's going on in your heart right now, where you are, wherever you are in life. Jesus understands what is going on in your heart. And so you need to understand that even though we don't always see your outward action because they don't always match up with what's in your heart, Jesus still sees what's in your heart. Sometimes we can do the right thing with the wrong. And outwardly we think that, hey, I'm doing the right thing, but my heart is not right while I'm doing it. And so therefore man will praise us and, and heap glory toward us, but God will look at us and say, your heart was not. So we need to make sure that we do things that our heart and our outward actions are consistent with one another. Because God is looking at you. So now when Jesus understood they was reading these things in their heart, look at verse 9. He says, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and... Which one's easier to do? Because it don't make no difference. I can do either one of them, but which one you think easier to do? Now, now see, obviously, you know, to say, take up your bed and walk would be easier. Because after I say that and he do it, you can see that. See, it's easy when you can see things. But to say your sins are for... I got to wait till some proof come about to make sure that's happening. But when I say get up and walk, I can see that. But when I say your sins are for... It takes some time for folks to start living like their sins have been for... Y'all better hear me today. So now look at this. In, in verse 10, we see Jesus' divine authority. In verse 10, he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Now, Jesus called himself the Son of Man to emphasize that he was fully human. In other words, born of a woman, a virgin at that. But he also was letting them know that this human had divinity inside of him. He had the power on earth to forgive sin. So now once he does that in his authority, he tells the man, get up. I see get up. I see pick up. And then once he says, now look, arise, get up. Then pick up, take up your bed, and then go up to the place where I told you to go. So sometimes when we are trying to move up in the Lord, we have to get up from where we are. And then there are certain things we don't want to take with us when we get up. But there are certain things that we need to bring forth. So he tell the man to get up, but now pick up your bed. 
pick up your blanket, pick up your pallet, whatever you want to call it. Take that with you. But you don't, you can leave all the rest of your ailments. You can leave that there, but pick up some of the things that you need. When God tells you to get up, he don't mean for you to abandon everything when he calls you. He means for you to leave the stuff that's not necessary, but you take the thing with you that's going to be necessary for where you go. He says, and then go to your house. Now look at this, verse 12. God is glorified. He says, immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out of the presence of them, went out into the presence of them all, so that all, somebody say all, all were amazed and glorified God. See, when they saw Jesus perform the mighty work on the man, and the man get up and follow Jesus' instruction, the people are now amazed because I know this guy's condition. I know what he's been going through. And so all of a sudden now, we're amazed because we believe that a mighty work has taken place. And whenever a mighty work has taken place, it's only natural that we should glorify God. Say, they folks say, hey, we ain't never seen nothing like this before. Man, can you imagine what it would be like to come to church and leave and say, man, we ain't never seen nothing like this before. We've been going to church all our lives. We've been we're going in and we're going out, going in, going out. But today I went there and I ain't never seen nothing like this before. I, God did something that let me know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is God never seen nothing like this before. It's time for us to experience God in a way that we have never seen before. And the only way you can do that is to get your flesh out of the way and allow the Spirit of God to move on your heart and open your heart up to receive what God has in store for you. Because God wants to do some things you have never Y'all better hear me today. We come to God with our ordinary thinking and forget that we're serving a supernatural God that can do extraordinary things. So God Perform this miracle Jesus did, and God was glorified. God was glorified. Now, go to my next turn. I want you to get this. Go to Luke. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Another miracle. Get this. Here we see Jesus performing a miracle by raising a widow's only some, but somebody say a widow's. A widow's, somebody say only. Somebody say son. A widow's only son. Now, there's two things wrapped up in that widow's only son. See, he was raising a widow's only son from the dead. And as a result of this great work, you got to see something here. A widow, a woman who had already lost her husband, and now... She had lost her only son. If you understand anything about being a widow in those days, normally your life was in a serious mess when you didn't have a man in your life to help look out for you and take care of you. That's why they had to have special provisions that, that you're supposed to take care of the widows of the church. You know, if they don't have family and things of that nature, because normally widows didn't possess a lot of material wealth. And so therefore they was left destitute when their husband died if he didn't have wealth and if they didn't have no children to take care of them. So this woman had a twofold problem. She was a widow and she had lost her only, lost her only son. I consider that a serious situation. Being a widow and no children to take care of you. Having to depend on, you know, to depend on people to look out for you and to take care of you. 
That's why sometimes widows was easy targets for, for those, you know, jack-legged preachers. You know, when Jesus in Matthew 23 told them about the, the Pharisees, you know, y'all go and, you know, you, you, you pray on widows because you know that they are destitute and without, and so therefore they don't always think things through because of their circumstance and their situation, and therefore you pray on them. And so widows were easy pray for some people. Jesus, sensing that, decided that he's going to do something about her situation. And so what we see here is that this was a miracle that wasn't even solicited. He saw those two things at work and decided to do this himself. Nobody ran up to him and say, heal her or bring her son back. Nobody said that. But he saw the situation and decided that he was going to do something about it. Jesus can see your situation too. And he knows that he can do something about it. And see, look at this in verse 11 and verse 12. A situation, a serious situation. He says, now it happened the day after that he went into the city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large, somebody said a large crowd. See, Jesus was popular now. I mean, it was no longer no one and twosies. Jesus was the man. I mean, everybody had heard about what he was doing, what his message was, what he was talking about. And now for, he ain't got just 12, he got a crowd following him. Every way, you know, after you feed 5,000 folks, some of them going to follow you. you know, after you open somebody's eyes, some of them going to follow you. So Jesus, not, Jesus got popularity, he got notoriety. People were following him. Bible makes clear that we know that it was a large crowd. And you know, the bigger the crowd, you know, the better Jesus works. You know, the, the size of the crowd, you know, he can do it in a small crowd. But you know, sometimes when you're trying to get a lot of people to see something, you've just got to do something to make everybody go, wow. Because you want them, that crowd to leave that saying, That wow effect, wow. What did I see today? What did I witness today? What happened today? A large crowd. Verse 12 says, and when he had came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man, somebody said a dead man, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. Now look at this. Normally during that time, this is what you call a funeral procession. A lot of times, you look at TV now, sometime over in Jerusalem, somebody get killed in one of those Arab countries, the, the next day they have a processional. You know, they put their body on top of something that looked like an open casket, put it on the shoulder of some men, and they walked down the street with a crowd following them. In those days, that was mourning. That was all part of it. They even used to pay people to be mourners, to come in and mourn and show that. But what you need to see out of this, that after you get through burying your dead, the crowd going to go away. The crowd only going to stay with you for so long, and then you're going to find out that the crowd got their own set of issues. The crowd got their own problems. The crowd got their own concern. So therefore, the crowd will hang with you during your time of grief and your time of sorrow, but they got a time limit. That's the expiration on the, on the crowd. I know, I've been there. That's the expiration <laughs> on the crowd. The crowd ain't going to be with you. You know, two months later, the crowd ain't going to be with you six months later. The crowd ain't going to be with you a year later. So in the absence of the crowd, you need a savior. You need to make sure that Jesus is going to still be with you. So now this woman, son is dead and she's a widow. And then a large crowd is going through the city with her, taking part in her grief. 
And Jesus see this, and I want you to see it. As I showed you last week, Jesus is a person of compassion. So I want you to see his compassion in verses 13 through 15. It says, now look, when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Well, dry your tears up. Stop crying. I got this. I can bring joy back into your life. Do not weep. At some point in time, the Lord got to stop you from crying. You know, we, we can't cry our way through COVID. We can't cry our way through tough situations. Sooner or later, the Lord got to tell you, stop crying. Sooner or later, you got to cry your last tear. And you got to get up and say, God, it's me and you. Jesus, I'm dependent on you for everything. I done cried my last tear. This situation, this circumstance is no longer going to keep me down. I'm not going to bed and cry all night long. Time for some of y'all to stop crying. Y'all been weeping too long. And you're weeping only supposed to do it for a night. But joy comes in the morning. At some point in time, joy got to come back into your life. You got to stop. He said, do not weep. Verse 14. Then he came and touched the open coffin. Just laid his hand on it. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. <laughs> you know, this is one of the second time that Jesus done raised the dead. Most of y'all are familiar with the very familiar passage. I could have used Lazarus right here. But see, in Lazarus, don't say that everybody glorified him. So I didn't use Lazarus. But since y'all was familiar with Lazarus, I figured I'd just add him in extemporaneously. You know, since I ain't got him in my notes, I'd just throw him right in right now and just let y'all know, you know, Lazarus' situation was a little bit more severe than this one because Lazarus had been dead for four or five days. In other words, Lazarus was starting to stink. And they said, look here. He said, let's move the two. And then say, move the stone. And when he said, move the stone, all he said to Lazarus was, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And look here. <laughs> Whatever was holding Lazarus down had to let him. So this is the second time that Jesus raised someone. And it was at a funeral procession. And all he said was to the young man, I say to you, arise. The power in Jesus' words, man. That's why you need to study this Bible, read this Bible, and then once you get it in your heart, you need to quote Jesus' word back. You need to know some of the things that Jesus said when things attack you, when things come against you, when things are trying to kill you. You need to know what Jesus said in certain situations because there's power in his word. Young man, I say to you, oh. Now look at this. So he was who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Good God Almighty, Jesus' compassion. He knew she had a need, and she knew that it would be easy to meet that need if her son was still alive. So therefore, compassion caused him to do something to alleviate her need. A lot of times we say we have compassion, but we don't do nothing to let people know we truly are compassionate. Amen. Compassion means more than just saying you're compassionate about something, you're sorry about something, you know, you're showing sympathy and all that. You know, at some point in time, it requires action on our part if we say we are compassionate people. So he presented her to his, to his mother, presented him to his 
mother. Now look at this, verse 16. I want you to see profound reverence. Profound reverence. Now look at it. This crowd that was observing everything Jesus was doing, knowing this young man was dead, now all of a sudden they see Jesus taking him to his mama. Then the Bible says, then fear. Reverential fear. You know, they weren't terrified like they were going to run home. They, was there. They, they said, wow, God is moving right here. God is moving in this situation, and we got to show God the reverence and the respect that he is due. Then fear came upon all. And look what they did when reverence came upon them. They glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. Now, the great prophet, they see in Jesus as a prophet because the Old Testament prophet, you know, Elijah and Elijah had raised people from the, a person from the dead. So they're saying, hey, this is a man that's operating like the prophets of old, but not only because he raised from the dead, because Jesus taught with authority like the prophets of old. But they shouldn't have stopped at a prophet because in their presence was more than a prophet. We already saw that he was the son of God, the son of man. Not only was that, he was the Messiah that everybody was waiting for. He was the savior that everybody was waiting for. He was the deliverer that people were looking forward to. But we're going to give them credit. At least they saw him as a prophet. These were just the people that saw him as a prophet, but the religious leaders did not see him as nothing. You know, sometimes people who don't come to church often can see more about Jesus than people who come to church every week. Got more reverence and respect for God than people who come and sit up in the church every week. There are people out there who may not even come to church every week, don't even do all the things that we do religiously, but they got something in their heart that make them act and operate more like these were common people. They recognized the power of God moving through Jesus, but every time he did something profound, the religious leaders found fault in him. So Jesus changed these people's lives because they glorify God. When people see the Lord moving, and then they see him moving through us, we have the ability to change people's lives. You, you just got to believe that. When God worked through you, whatever it is he's given you to do or assigned you to do, and you do that, you have the ability to, for people to glorify God. We should all be doing things that could cause people to have a profound reverence for God because they see us and they see how we conduct ourselves and carry ourselves. Then they know that we are representing Jesus in the earth. We're his divine representatives in the earth. We, we are supposed to act and conduct and carry ourselves just like he would. And so therefore, when people see Jesus through us, then that is cause for them to glorify God. Now look at this. They glorify God and recognize Jesus as a prophet, but then they also said, man, God has visited his people. Man, you know, I think we all use a visitation during the time that we're living in. You know, I think, you know, right now, every time you turn on the news, it's this and it's that, and everything's changing, and it don't look like there's no good news out there. We just need a visitation. 
We just need God to come down and let us know, hey, everything's going to be all right. Stop believing the news. I'm still God. I have the power and the authority to take care of this situation. So stop believing everything you hear man say and see man do. And that caused your blood pressure to go up and your nerves to get frazzled and all that. Stop, stop, stop. I am still God. I was God the last time there was a pandemic, and I'm going to be God when this pandemic is over. So we just need to make sure that we keep our focus on the one and give him the reverence and the respect and the honor that he is due, even during the midst of, even in the midst of COVID. We got to still glorify God. We got to believe that God is visiting us. Even during this time that we're living, he's did, he did not leave us nor forsake us even during this time that we're in. Go to my last turn. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Now y'all hold on to this. I know it's kind of hard to remember stuff from one week to the next, but y'all make a note because I'm going to tie this to next week. Because here we see Jesus in Luke chapter 18. I'll read verse 35 through 43. We see Jesus on his last journey to Jerusalem, a little over a week before his crucifixion. And as he was coming near Jericho, we now see him miraculously heal a blind beggar who was desperately crying out to him in spite of what the people said. In faith, he cried out, and Jesus heard his cry, met his need, and he and the people glorified and praised God. Again, Jesus glorified God, glorified God by completing his work, and the man and the people praised and gave thanks to God for what Jesus had done. Now look at this. I see in verse 35 and 36, somebody say a timely question. A timely question. Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man, some people in one of the other writers say it may have been Bartimaeus, but it right here, this writer just say a certain blind man sat by the road begging. Now, he wasn't just sitting anywhere. You know, normally if you're a beggar, all you got to do is watch our local homeless people. Do you notice where they stand? You know, they don't come and stand in front of 24 baths. Why? Ain't no crowd going to pass by here every day. You know, sometimes over five or six cars go down baths. So if I'm a beggar and I, I got a problem, I ain't going to come stand on baths because ain't no crowd passing baths. I'm going to go out on Bill. I'm going to go out on Edlund. Uh-huh. I'm going to go on Mary Esther Cutoff. I'm going to go where the crowd is passing. Because if I depend on the crowd for my livelihood, then my chances are better if more people are passing by that can drop something in my little bucket. You know, when I go to the big cities, you know, people sit by the subway. Because you know all these people travel through New York, they get off the subway, and you see people that with their gifts and talents. You know, playing their guitars, dancing, whatever they're doing. You know, bam, they're hoping that you see their gift and their talent real loud and they got a need, and in the little case, you drop something. They don't want, they're not on a route where there's no subway. They're on a route where folks are going to be coming by. 
And so this beggar had some sense, you know, he knew the main thoroughfare, so he said, I'm going to sit out here and take my chances because all I'm looking for today is to try to get my basic needs met. I just need to get enough to live from day to day. So a certain blind man sat by the road begging, a beggar with little hope of escaping, you know, a degrading way of life, a beggar. You know, but while he was out there begging, apparently he noticed something different. Because, you know, you sit out there on Bill all the time, you kind of get used to the traffic pattern. You can kind of say, well, you know, the light done changed. I can see a lot of cars. But all of a sudden now, something happening different. He says, now look, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. In other words, he said, what's going on? What's causing all this commotion and, 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 and all this noise? What's causing this big crowd to show up here? What is the reason for the crowd? What does this mean? Now, you would figure that, you know, some of the folk who saw his condition should have encouraged him to keep crying out. You figure they should have encouraged him. He asked the question, what does it mean? And look here. Look what they says. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed him by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now they told him who was passing by and the man cried out for mercy. I need some help. I need some way, someone to come along and to alleviate me out of this situation that I'm in. Cried out saying, Jesus, that's son of David. Son of David is a messianic term showing that he recognized Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the Deliverer. We just seen that Jesus was called the Son of Man and the Son of God. Then now we see him called the Son of David. Have mercy on us. Because the Messianic Jesus, the one that was going to be the Messiah, the one that was going to be the Deliverer, he had the ability to do all those things that the Pharisees thought that he wasn't able, shouldn't have been doing to heal and to forgive sin. He had the power and the authority to do all those things. And this man cries out, have mercy. Sometimes when you're crying out, you don't have to be long. You don't have to try to figure out what you got to say. Everybody ought to know how to say, Lord, just have mercy. Don't give me what I deserve, Lord, but just give me what I need. Have mercy on me. I know I've done some things that don't deserve your mercy, God, but I'm asking you to be lenient on me in this situation that I'm in. Don't give me what I deserve. Maybe I deserve to be in this state. But right now, God, I see you passing by, and I'm not going to miss this opportunity to cry out and just say, have, have mercy on me. You know, when we cry out for mercy, I don't believe a merciful God would turn his back on someone who's crying out for mercy from a pure heart and a sincere heart. I don't believe God will turn his back. So the man cried out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Not my brother. Y'all done heard that in the song, ain't you? Not my sister. Not my father or my mother. But on me, oh Lord. <laughs> I'm the one standing here in the need right now. I ain't trying to lift up somebody else right now. It's my issue. It's my problem, my concern. And God, I want you to have mercy on. I know it sounds selfish, but right now, God, it is all about me. 
It's all about me right now, God, because I'm the one that's blind. I'm the one that can't see. I'm the one that's sitting here begging, God. It's all about my needs right now. If you do something for me, Lord, maybe I can intercede for somebody else. But right now, I can't help nobody else as long as I'm blind. I need somebody to help me. And so therefore, if I've got a heart that want to help others, God, you get me out of this situation, and then I may be able to help somebody. So he said, Jesus, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now look at this. Persistent faith, you know, that cries out in verse 39. Look here. Persistent faith. Now look at this. Verse 39 said, those, then those who went before him warned. Somebody say warned. Warned him that he should be now, that's just crazy. That's just so crazy, Latham. The man sitting there by the side of the road, blind, can't see. And you would think they would encourage him, cry out the more because the Savior is passing by. Cry some more. They said, shut up. Shut up. I guarantee you, all of them could see. They, they didn't have that problem. They didn't have that issue. So sometimes when folk tell you to shut up, you need to cry. They ain't going through what you're going through. They experience what you experience. Don't let somebody tell you to be quiet when you still got an issue that needs to be heard. Amen. They were followers of Jesus. You, I can see that Beth, they were people who were following Jesus. Look like they should have egged the brother on, edging them on. Go ahead and cry some more, man, until you hear you. No, shut up. Be quiet. We got him now. We follow him now. We don't want you to disrupt our flow with him. Y'all better disrupt some of these other folks' flow and start crying out to the Lord when they tell you to shut up and don't take all that. You need to tell them to take all that and then some. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I'm at in this point in my life. So don't tell me to just be. I dare you tell me, be quiet. And every day you get up, your knees are met. You ain't got to beg nobody for nothing. And you got the nerve to tell me to be quiet. You got the nerve. Hey, what would give you the audacity to tell me to just be? I'm glad this man didn't listen to the crowd. But the Bible says he cried out all the more, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. So sometimes you got to cry a little bit louder. Got to cry a little bit more. When people tell you to shut up, you just turn the volume up. Amen. They tell you to quiet it down. You don't take all that to have church. Yeah! <laughs> you just don't know! What you mean? Who determined what it takes to have church? You just don't know what the Lord has done for me. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know where he's bringing me from. And you got the nerve to say, be. We look down on people who want to tell God thank you in their own way when they want to crowd and say, Lord, have mercy on them. We look at, oh, that's so undignified. You can see. You talking from sight. You can see. You're trying to tell somebody who can't see to be quiet when you can. We ought to be encouraging them to cry out even more till you get your blessing. Cry out even more till you get your breakthrough. Cry out even more to the Lord, to the Lord deliver you from whatever it is you 
You don't have nothing to lose by crying out to a holy God and to a loving Savior. You don't have nothing to lose. I don't want to hear you. Just say, stop your ears up, because you can hear. <laughs> if you couldn't hear, your attitude would be different. But you're blessed to be able to hear my noise. So let me make my joyful noise unto the Lord. You just plug your ears up while I tell God thank you for a little bit. You just plug your ears up while I let him know, God, I love you for what you've done for me. And somebody says, shut up and don't, you know, we're a dignified church. We ain't supposed to do all that, but I'm trying to tell you, you just don't know what people have been through. I wish some people would come to church sometime and just really let themselves go and let God use them in a mighty way so that people can understand God is delivering some people out of some situation, but they're scared to get up and let the world know. Because they're worried about what is such and such goes. It is should not matter. We ought to tell people, give God the praise, give God the thanks. And if you need a healing, you need deliverance, cry out to God answer you. Cry out. So I'm glad he didn't listen to his critics. He cried even the more, son of David. Have mercy on me. If you study the Bible and go all the way through the Bible, you know mercy seemed to be one of God's traits, his characteristics. So he is a merciful God. So we, don't, we can't go wrong crying for... You can't go wrong crying for love and mercy and forgiveness. You can't go wrong crying out to God. Look at this, verse 40 through 42. I see confidence in Jesus. But first I see, so Jesus stood still. Jesus walking with a crowd, and the man cried out for him to have mercy. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? I think that's a significant question that he can ask all of us today. What is it you want me to do for you? That's what you ought to be pondering in your heart and mind right now. God, what is it that you want Jesus to do for you? What is it that you want him to do? Why do you want him to move in your life? What do you want him to deliver you from? What is it that you want? Why do you come to him and don't express what you want him to? If he is our problem solving, then we need to be taking our problems to him. And we ought to be bold enough to tell him what we want him to do. Jesus is not afraid to ask us the question, what do you want me to do? Now the man could have stood there and, and you know, kind of beat his gum. And I, I look here, he was, he was clear. I know what I want you to do. I ain't got to go and meet with nobody else. I, look, I know you didn't ask me, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to lay it right down. He said, look here. He said, Lord, called Jesus master this time, ruler of all things, that I may receive my sight. I want to see. Everybody else can see, but I want to see too. I want to receive my sight. I was specific. I'm specifically asking you for exactly what I need. I ain't going to give you no general. Well, Lord, anything you want to do would be fine with me. No, no, no. This is not one of those anything you want to do, Lord, would be fine with me prayers right here. This is, I need this specifically, Lord. I want you to. 
take this out of my life. I want you to do this for me. I want you to give me my life. Lord, that I may receive my sight. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith, somebody say your faith. Your faith has made you well. Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Faith is important when you want to get God and Jesus to move in your life. All throughout his teaching, you find out that he moved and responded when people had faith. So therefore, it's important for us to, to, to up our faith game. You know, we got to get from little faith to no faith, you know, and start moving up to great faith and strong faith. But we've got the faith to believe that God can move mountains in our lives. But we've got the faith to believe that whatever God said is possible. Because with him, we believe that all things are possible. And it, to those who believe. So we got to maintain and hold on to our faith. No matter what the challenges of life bring to us, we got to still hold on to our faith. It's about faith that we got saved. So therefore, why should we give up something that saved our lives when we get ourselves in a situation where we need something from a holy God. He says, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now, Jesus has said that to several other people. You know, faith has made them well. So therefore, we see that there's a consistency with faith in God responding to meet the needs of the person who cry out in faith. Now, look at this. Verse 43, and I'm done. A changed life. A changed life. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. The man went to Jesus in darkness, and now he's seen the marvelous light. He has come in contact with the light of the world. So no longer is he walking in darkness physically, he's no longer walking in darkness spiritually because now he has come into Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. The man came to Jesus begging, but now he's following. You know, he was sitting on the road begging, but now that I can see mom, I can get up and follow the one who healed me. I can get up and follow the one who delivered me. I can get up and follow the one who set me free from all the sins of my life. I can get up and follow that one now. I no longer want to be staying the same place he met me. He met me sitting right here on the side of the road. But when he moved, I want to move. I want to follow my blessing because I got blessed sitting. Now I'm going to be blessed following we ought to be walking in a blessed state because we are following Jesus. We ought to be following him. Every day that we get up, we ought to be following Jesus. Following him. The man went from begging to following. And then he went from crying to glorify. Y'all better hear me today. If you see tears now, they ain't tears of sorrow. But they tears of joy. Because sometimes, you know, Latham, even as a man, you can cry so loud and so hard when you get happy about stuff, but you know, just 
tears just run down your face. Nobody, oh, he must be, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. You know, these, these are tears of joy because look here, I, I was crying in sorrow when I was blind, but now that I can see, these are not tears of sorrow, but these are tears of God wants you to give him an expression that you got joy in your life because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. So we cry out to God. Glorify him from crying. Ain't no more weeping and whining and moaning and groaning and going on now. It's praise the Lord. It's give him the glory. It's give him thanks. It's all about elevating him. Lord, you be glorified in my life. Lord, you be magnified in my life. God, you be exalted in my When God changed your life, it's fitting for you to give him praise. When God changed your life, you owe him some praise. You owe him some glory. You owe him some magnification. When God moves in your life, you owe it to him. I told you this in the last series. There's certain things we owe to God. And when you can't do nothing else, you ought to be able to clap your hands and say, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for opening my blinded eyes. Thank you, God, for touching my body. God, I just dropped by my, on my way to heaven today to say thank you. If I didn't have nothing else to say as I close this message, all I need to do is say, all you need to do is tell God thank you today. Just give him a thanksgiving offering. Hallelujah. Whatever you need to thank him for, you ought to thank him right now in your own way. Don't let nobody shut you up. Don't let nobody say, oh, I wonder what so-and-so going to think about me. Who cares? It's your life that was in the balance. It's your life that was changed. It is you that ought to give him the praise. Hallelujah. 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 God, we owe it to you today. Hallelujah. Look here. Your praise can be contagious, Latham. When you start praising, somebody else will start praising. The man started running around following Jesus. And guess what? Everybody else started glorifying God. Because somebody said, hey, I never thought I'd see Latham praise like that. He's such a reserved guy. He don't normally show too much expression. But God has moved to his life too. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to your name. Hallelujah. 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 Look here. I ain't going to lie to you right now. I'm trying to get some of y'all out of y'all seat. I'm trying to get you to get up and give God what he's doing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I ain't going to let you. I wonder what Bold is trying to get me to do. I'm trying to get you to give God the glory. I'm trying to get you to give him the praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're watching online, you ought to be running around knocking some furniture over in your living room right now. Move that chair out of the way. Give God some praise. Move some stuff around in your house so you can give God some praise. He blessed you to see another day. That's enough to praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can only imagine what that crowd must have looked like. Man, that crowd was praising. The man was praising. Everybody was glorifying God. We owe him the glory. Hallelujah. We owe him the glory. We, we owe him the glory. Y'all can tell that this, this old foot feeling pretty good today. Last, last week I couldn't, I couldn't do all that with this foot. But this week I owe him some glory. Hallelujah. 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 God is a good God. And he deserved to be glorified. He deserved our praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I thank God for Jesus Christ and the miracle of salvation because Jesus made it possible for all of us to come back to God. And we owe him some thanks for the work that he did on the cross for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Like the blind man, Jesus called all of us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Fabian, we used to just sing what Fabian. We, we, that was one song y'all used to sing and it had nothing in it but thank you, Lord. You know, I know this is on, in the spur of the moment, Fabian, but can you just help me out right here? Because I'm not a singing preacher, but if I would, I would take me a song right now and sing something to you because sometimes singing just makes folk move, the words don't. But we're just going to deal with thank you, Lord, just for a minute because I'm through preaching, Fabian. Just help me out, Fabian. Help the Lord out right now. Thank you, Lord. Help yourself. Thank you, Lord. Y'all know the song. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Everybody sing that to now. Thank you, Hallelujah. Now give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you will. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, God. Glory to your name. Every head bow and every eye closed. Every head bow and every eye closed. Hallelujah. My first appeal is for salvation. If you're here and are online, and you don't know Jesus Christ as the pardon of your sins. He came so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But it starts with you accepting God's plan of salvation for your life. So if that is you, if you're here, raise your hand. If you're here, raise your hand. 
If you're online, I just ask that you give us a call here at the church. We have uh, ministers listening in on the line. So if you call 850-862-3899, someone would take your call. But we don't want to take for granted that everybody that's listening in or even in the presence is saved today because we are here to seek and save that which was lost. And so Jesus came and he died so that we can have a way back. And I want to extend that opportunity. My second appeal is for if you're online or even if you're in the church and you're looking for a church home and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart saying striving for perfection ministry is the place for you. I ask that you just raise your hand if you will raise your hand. If you raise your hand, if you're online, again, call that same number and tell them yes. I see a hand raised. Hallelujah. Glory to your God. name, God. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 If you raise your hand, Brother Tim is coming down the aisle. He's going to take you, get some information from you, and we're going to gladly receive you. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to your name, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, God. Hallelujah. My third appeal is for prayer. You may be standing or sitting at your seat, and you have a prayer concern that you would like to lift up, and I just pray that you will see yourselves as your own priests and priestesses, that you can make your requests known to God because Jesus rent the veil of the temple so you can have access to a holy God. So I just ask that you make your petitions and your requests known. You may want to intercede for someone in your family, a friend, a co-worker, or whatever the situation may be. But as I pray, generally, you just make sure that you make your specific requests known to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because we believe that God's still here and answer our prayers. Amen? Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we honor you and give you thanks for this time that we sanctified and set apart to lift up our petitions and our requests to you, God. You said in your word that when the righteous cry out, Lord, that you will hear them. So hear our cry right now, Lord. You know each and every one of our hearts. You know the things that's troubling us. You know the things that we want to give you praise for. You know the things that, God, that, that we need to continue to walk in this life that you've given us. And God, I just pray right now that you incline your ear down right now, God. And as you listen and hear your people's cries, God answers their cries. Hear their plea and answer their request, God. We trust you in all things, God, and we believe that your answer is going to be good enough, God, because we know that you are faithful, God, you're loving, God, and you're merciful, God. And so right now, God, whatever our concerns are, whatever they may be, God, individually as well as collectively, God, we just ask for you to have mercy on each and every one of us now. Bless us and keep us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen.